0: serves this is sir gene with your morning update in the afternoon welcome to another episode of sir gene speaks with sir a dude named ben named ben how are you today ben i'm doing well
1: gene sitting here drinking coffee talking to you well that things could be worse i suppose well yeah (laughs) especially if you're in the military today did you see the uh article i sent you on uh supreme court ruling
0: yeah, I just read the title though. What does what, what did it actually say?
1: Yeah, so the the Supreme Court has ruled that uh, they will not stay the Biden administration's forced vaccination of our armed forces. So uh, there were only three dissenters, and that's Alito, uh, Gorsuch, and then um, uh, one other Supreme Court justice that's slipping my mind: uh, Kavanaugh. Oh. Kavanaugh. Yeah. So, look, Thomas, rule four, you Uh I'd have to look at the article one more time. Yes. And it may have been Thomas. Yeah, right. uh, but regardless, the point is that um, it was funny because the Vox article I sent you, the, the headline was The Supreme Court Confirms That uh, Biden is Commander in Chief. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is obviously just clickbait nonsense and has nothing to do with the topic. Right. But uh, yeah, religious exemptions will not be. Upheld currently, so it's just a stay. It's not the full on trial I haven't gone through yet, but uh you well, know you know I, I g- don't think it's a great timing, given geopolitical events to you know potentially be changing the disposition of our armed forces
0: yeah well it's it's interesting because I can make arguments for both sides of that. I don't think that's a clear cut case um, because well, joining yeah. the military. I've argued in the past, um, is not some mythical magical thing. It is a job. It's a job that you make by choice. We don't have a draft in this country. It it is something that you do because you want to spend the next X amount of time doing this type of activity and getting paid for it and having no bills to really worry about while you're doing it. So it's not the best paying job by any stretch of the imagination out there. Um, it's not the worst paying job but it is a job and we haven't needed a draft for a long time because there have been enough volunteers. Yeah. I mean,
1: it's a social program in many ways too. Right. Um, a lot of people who couldn't otherwise get that level of pay do, you know, there, there are two types of people who go into the military, those who want to, and those who from an economic stance almost have to. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'd argue that a little bit and, you know,
0: well, I, I don't disagree I'm, with that. I think that goes hand in hand with what I
1: said. It's yeah. 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 It, uh, the, the point I'm making though, is that you do sign your life away to a large extent when you join the military, right? You have military code of justice, things like that. You're mm-hmm. under different laws than a normal citizen. Yeah. That said, uh, you know, I think the forced vaccination and we can get into the efficacy of the vaccination or anything else, but you know, my, my problem is the forced vaccination of any group of people I, I find problematic, right?
0: Well, uh, yes, but let's say you want to work at a, oh, I don't know, just to pull something randomly out of the air, a Ukrainian bioweapons facility and, uh, do that part of the condition of doing that job is that you have to get vaccinated for a whole bunch of stuff. Now, you can not take the job and not get vaccinated, or you can take the job and and then get the vaccinations that you need, which theoretically are there to help you prevent from dying if you do catch the disease. I I will just
1: tell you this. I recently changed jobs and and ended up in a better position, actually. But Mm -hmm. I left a Fortune 300 company as a manager at a very high level of cybersecurity program there. And it was over. I decided to leave that company when the CEO told me that he uh, didn't want to have to force vaccinations, but he thought he had the right. And Mm -hmm. no, you don't. Um, You know, the, the problem I have with saying vaccinations are a condition of employment, I'm a capitalist, but what could you possibly give me from a contractual standpoint for me to alter my body for the rest of my
0: life? Well, you as an individual, we know the price of that, which is nothing, but you as a general term of people that are applying for a job, the vast majority would be perfectly fine with that if it means a better paying job and something that they're willing to do because they they don't think it's a big deal to do vaccinations. I mean, the way that you and I look at vaccinations, which is from a scientific standpoint, is a tiny little percentage of the population. The vast majority of people really consider vaccination as a, not a big deal thing that, I mean, Christ kids get how many of them these days, uh, just to be in school, not even a job, like a dozen or more, not my kids. Right. So, but again, I'm talking about the average population, not specifically you in this scenario. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, um, uh, I think forced vaccinations are problematic, but vaccinations as a condition to something else, I can definitely make an argument for it.
1: Right. And that that's where this military case bugs me so much, right? Because you sign up for your term and, uh, you are essentially at the will of your commanding officers. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you can't just quit, <laughs> right? I, I have the liberty uh, to be able to say to that CEO and to the company um, that a mask and vaccination will not be a condition of my employment, and right. go elsewhere. A soldier serving in the military cannot just resign their commission willy-nilly, depending on where they're at in their term and so on. So it, it's it's a harder question, right?
0: Well, it, yeah, again, let, let me make the counter argument here, which is they should have known when they signed up. This is by this vaccination is by no means the only vaccination that the US military uh mandates. I agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean it's if you're going to be serving in Africa in some you know activity whether it's the US military or most other countries you're getting malaria vaccinations whether you want it or not and some yeah. people are allergic to those and have horrible yeah. side effects. Well,
1: it it's one of those things that um reading that article this morning I was very uh saddened that only three supreme court justices dissented at all to the uh lack of religious exemptions not that i think a religious exemption is a end-all be-all you know i could have tried to go that, that yeah. route with my company and i decided no it's just it, regardless of my personal beliefs it i do not want to go the exemption route at all because it's yeah
0: i totally it, you know, agree with that i i think carving out a religious exemption is sort of the big fuck you to anybody that doesn't have a religion that forbids something. That's I mean there and this is I I think I sent you um like a month ago uh a picture that I saw that was um from the 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 Satanist US Satanist Church of Satanism or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the, the where that picture came from was an article talking about an, a large increase in the number of members due to the fact that that provides a religious exemption against covid vaccine which is hilarious which is I, hilarious I, exactly yeah. i think it's really funny but but i don't take religion seriously so for me it's definitely funny but um nonetheless the idea that somebody would have to find some church in order to be able to get permission it's like getting a permission slip that says my parents said that i i don't have like for example i remember when i was a kid that uh my parents signed a a letter that says i was exempt from uh fluoride Uh so uh in back in the day uh kids in elementary school uh had to swish fluoride As, as like part of a, you know, school activity. I'm sure somebody thought it was a great idea. What state was that? Oh, it was, it was the, the great state of Minnesota. The, the state that wants to be California. Interesting. Yeah. But it was, I'm sure somebody came up with this idea that not enough poor kids are getting fluoride. Their teeth are horrible. Let's just make all kids, you know, swish around fluoride in the morning, every day at school to ensure that even if their parents aren't making sure they brush their teeth and stuff that we're providing some help. So all of these things, all these social socialistic things start off when somebody has a great idea and and the great idea is meant to address some tiny fraction of a minority by forcing the majority to do something else.
1: Well, and this comes back to the hilarity of, and this is, I see it in gun owners. I see it in lots of different people. They don't want to do something, so they'll find a way not to do it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: versus just saying no. Right, and I think that's the big difference. Is all these people who are trying for a religious exemption? Why the hell do you think you need a religious exemption? Right. Just saying no. Yep. You have autonomy over your body, or you don't. And you know it. it it, it's it's like gun owners who say, "Oh, I'll I lost them in a boating accident, or I'll bury them, or whatever." <laughs> well, if there's a national gun confiscation, maybe that's the time to you know use your guns or lose your guns.
0: So, oh, here we go. We're going to get the amount of time. Uh, yeah,
1: if you thought conversations with me had any shot at monetization, <laughs> you're
0: sadly mistaken. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. No. It it is. I think a fairly common human reaction to find a loophole rather than stand your ground. Most people don't want to actually be that person that stands his ground. Uh, they, they would like to just find some other alternative. Yeah. We're
1: we're definitely social animals and standing up against mm -hmm. the crowd is difficult, right?
0: Yeah. We're not wired that way or most people aren't. Anyway, you got to at some point though. And then the, The loss of, uh, support by society at large is a very heavy threat upon human behavior. Um, now we, we've seen examples of the threat of, uh, of loss of support go away in cities like Chicago and San Francisco that have defunded their police and, and now are huge havens for criminal activity with no consequences. Um, (laughs) where do you stand on the defund the police movement well as a sort of a libertarian with anarchist leanings i think it's hilariously great but from a flip side i do feel like part of what government is supposed to be is an agreement by the people that are part of that government or the people that are electing to have a government put in place to provide safety and the courts when the courts aren't doing their job by following laws and just ignoring laws. That's a bad thing. And when, uh, a police that is being paid for by the populace that put the government up in the first place, isn't doing their job, that's also a bad thing. So I guess purely theoretically, there's nothing wrong with a group of people saying, Hey man, we're a bunch of hippies and we don't want any police here. And we'll just deal with the consequences ourselves. The problem is it's the 51% of the people, let's say that, and the 49% are going, are you guys insane? This is going to wreck all of our lives. Um, do you know
1: the history of why police uniforms are traditionally blue?
0: No, I don't think I do. So
1: in London, and uh, I'll get into my opinion on the uh, defund the policeman mm-hmm. shortly. So in London, when the first professional police force was being established, Everyone was screaming about it being a occupying army, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the British uh, having good common law and not being too totalitarian, uh, especially back in the day, um you know traditionally, policing was done actually by the church. The church uh, precincts and so on uh, had groups that would watch over the area and bring people up for trial, things like that. So you started to establish this professional police force, and to distinguish themselves from the British Red Coat Army, they chose blue uniforms to draw a strict line saying, we are not soldiers. This is different. Um, now, I, I posted years ago a meme uh, that I had made, uh, which was just two black and white photos. One was of a typical soldier kitted out in Iraq and a typical police officer kitted out in the streets of america Mm -hmm. and you know the question was spot the difference and you know with the rise of the militarization of our police force i I think that policing has gone very far away from its original founding intent um and quite frankly is an occupying army in many many ways at least here in the united states Mm -hmm. um yeah i live in an area that has it's a fairly small area Yet it has three SWAT teams. The county has a SWAT team. The university has a SWAT team. And the town has a SWAT team. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a little excessive. <laughs> so as far as defunding the police, man, you know, other than the sheriff's department, and uh, I think we ought to get rid of prosecutors, too, and go to go back to all grand juries. If a grand jury does not seek to indict someone, you know, get, get away from this plea bargaining bullshit. And –
0: Either take someone to trial or leave them the hell
1: alone, but that's me.
0: Sure. Well, and then you you brought up sheriff, which I think is uh, uh, by by many many years predates what you just described because the mm-hmm. sheriffs have been around in the UK for over a thousand years. Yes, the Uh, sheriff,
1: but that's an elected position. Yeah. Right. It's not a professional police force. And I think that's the big distinction is because the people choose the sheriff and have the ability to ostensibly get rid of them. Whereas the police chief.
0: Well, the people should be choosing the police chief through the mayor then. Right. Well, I mean, the uh, mayor gets gets to hire or fire the police chief usually.
1: To an extent, but it's a bureaucracy, right? It's the distinction between a direct elected official and a bureaucrat. You know, uh, the bureaucrat has a lot of insulation from the people that they serve.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, bureaucracy, I think, is the built-in force that prevents any single group of people, any nation, from dominating culture and, uh, uh, well, dominating its neighbors for sure over the course of many years that the bureaucracy, uh, is what leads to most nations downfall throughout history. So it is sort of the, the antidote to, uh, unlimited growth and power of a, uh, uh of a nation state. Well,
1: I, I guess that depends because a bureaucracy can also fuel the empire phase of a nation.
0: Right? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, but that's a phase, right? Yeah. So the empire phase, uh, begets the rebel alliance yeah uh uh i i heard a uh pretty good
1: uh joke the other day i tried uh wookie meat the other day really oh wow yeah
0: it was chewy oh. sorry oh i should have seen that coming <laughs> god damn it yeah i just walked right into that one yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That is um hilarious. yeah the
1: the empire phase does uh foment rebellion of some form or fashion but you know the the, the question then becomes how successful is that and what does it take how does it take place right i mean canada what canada didn't get their freedom to amend their own constitution without having to go back to the crown until the 70s or the 80s yeah it was fairly recent you know so i mean how how insane is that we (laughs) think of canada as an independent nation People that live in canada yeah but i mean it's barely as a true independent nation it's barely older than ukraine
0: yeah, yeah. So really, I mean, is it really Canada or just northern United States? Well, you know, the the North American uh, Union has been
1: on the table since the nineties, right? mm-hmm. and the Amero. So who knows? Yeah, With all the that. talk about the uh, changing currency, why not do it all at once?
0: Yep. Yep. No, that's true. Uh, so, so sorry. Just can I ask mm-hmm. you to? Add one more inch between you and the microphone. You're starting to peek out. How about that? Well, it's. I mean, it sounds fine, but I was nosing. noticing you were getting right into the red here. Okay. Um, so, Gene, I got a personal question for you.
1: Uh-oh. Were what? your parents birchers? Birchers. I don't even know what that is. John Birch Society. Oh, no. It's just interesting because given my assumption around your age and the fluoride comment you made, they're you know, they were some of the first to call out anything about fluoride.
0: Oh yeah. No, they were they were just uh <laughs> they were both highly educated people. Uh <laughs> um, well, there you go. Yeah, no, both both my parents had uh, masters in engineering. And uh, you know, I I probably learned the scientific method before I learned to read. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so things that are done purely out of a group think didn't go over too well.
1: Good. Good for them.
0: Yeah. yeah. With, which is also why I'm I'm very saddened by the fact that my dad is uh who's still alive is on the wrong side of the Russia Ukraine argument. Interesting. Uh interesting that you all would have such a divide
1: there. I guess but your parents left the former USSR, right? Yep.
0: Mhm.
1: So I can see that he would
0: have a Built-in emotional response, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's exactly check. what it is. Yeah. It's it, you know on just about every other issue, it, it is a a rational sort of intelligent uh, perspective, and on this particular issue, it's like, well, Putin's a, you know he's former KGB, he just represents the thing that my parents left, and so because of that. I don't think, um, <clears throat> I don't think that in any conflict where Russia's involved that my dad could see Russia being on the right side, you know, and this, th-
1: this is interesting cause it's something that I think, uh, we really are two countries passing each other in the night Yeah, as far as where we're going. Because, you know, Russia out of its empire phase, AKA USSR, right? Um, which it, it's ironic that. The communists and the Stalinists were more empire builders than than the Tsar ever really ever was, right? Mm-hmm. The Russian Empire as far as history would dictate it and you know the Tsars, the Tsarist Empire's really was pretty stable and confined, right? There there was Austria Hungarian wars, things like that, got it. But you know, it was not it was not the expansionist nature that we saw out of the us well
0: i I wouldn't go that far i mean the the russian empire expanded every decade if you look at the map uh they conquered more territory as a result of wars they they also had people that were interested and willing in joining the empire for protection and other purposes so it definitely grew in the late phases of the russian empire um certainly when nicholas came to power uh nicholas II. The that had mostly run out of land. And yeah. so there, it was landlocked empire. Um so the growth within communism was a a spreading of political ideas, uh not so much the changing of the borders, because communists, uh and I, I think probably Chinese communists as well as Russians really viewed the world as not really having real borders once communism can spread to the entire world it will sort of naturally become a one world government so okay. the, the borders so that my existed previously uh, were not horribly important to the communists
1: yeah i guess my comparison was the sheer amount of territory ostensibly under the control of moscow pre-communism and then at towards the end of the ussr right that's a
0: dramatic it's not a dramatic though. i just I, I agree with you that really i think come on warsaw pact all of that yeah i think the, that the added...
1: ostensible control that they had i mean i would even put if
0: you cuba compare as a vassal state yeah yeah right? but it, cuba's tiny if you could look at the landmass. cuba china it, Korea, well, china and russia split very early on they've had a very much a frenemy relationship but if you if you look at the landmass of the Russian Empire right before communism, and the only thing that really got added uh, was the Eastern Bloc uh, states that were really countries um, during the time of pre World War One, during the the Russian Empire phase, and then they sort of became client state countries, so they effectively acted not as independent countries but as just states within. The greater uh, USSR, but that that if you include them, so Eastern Europe effectively, that probably only added about twenty five percent. I mean, yeah, it, to, it,
1: uh, to the largest nation in the to world, the largest so yes. in the world. Yes, <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, I'm not saying it was a small raw amount of land, but as a percentage of the Russian Empire to begin with, because Russian Empire covered, you know, it, even during the Tsarist times, I think it was eleven time zones. So it was so, always a large empire.
1: Back to the original point, though, coming out of their empire phase, mm-hmm. whether that was from the Tsarists or the communists or whatever, what we see is a nation from my read that is, I, I think a lot of people, especially the Russians still in Russia, would have a visceral reaction to communism today, right? Oh, the, most Russians they, hate communism.
0: There's exactly. a small group that's always keeps trying to bring back the good old days back when we were all communists, but uh, most people aren't having it.
1: Exactly. So I I think that there is far more of a visceral reaction to, no, that's a really bad idea. And we know where that goes than what we have here in the U S. Um, I I think the U S has never really seen true communism and socialism at work in our own nation. And most people don't understand what that means. Yep. And, uh, as a result, you know, when I had someone young uh, tell me the other day that you know, in in in, in 2020, uh, in the 2020s, there's no reason for poverty. There's no reason why um, you should uh, you should have to be good at what you do to be successful. Literally was said to me, and you know, they have no idea that they're espousing communism.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you recommended they read some marks as a result of that conversation?
1: Yeah. My, my, my actual comment was, uh, you know, from each, according to his abilities, uh, to each, according to his needs is a noble and lofty thing, mm-hmm. but you know, utopic ideas don't work in reality.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. And that's, uh, it, it, that's exactly right because the, the concept. In fantasy, is a wonderful concept. Well, you only use what you need, and and there's never a point at which there's not enough. Who doesn't uh, want that? That's a great deal. But the problem is that you're dealing with the real world, not a fantasy world. And in the real world, all resources are not freely available in unlimited quantities. And humans are lazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, Well, humans are both lazy and competitive. And it, it's, it's that dichotomy that kind of determines the path of whole nations as well. Um, you know, there's a, there's a reason that during certain periods of time, nations grow tremendously and start leading the way. And then after some years pass, some other nation kind of picks up the baton of, of that leading the world in growth and, and energy and everything else. Uh, so I think it is somewhat cyclical, but if people were just purely lazy and not competitive, I, I think we would have all starved to death eons ago. True. Uh, have you, have you ever read Adam Smith? Wealth of Nations? Sure. Of course.
1: I, I think that the, that's a good book for the times we're living in and especially with the inflation and the monetary systems that we have working for us right now.
0: Uh, you know, that's, this is. This is a good idea, since I know you read a lot more than I do, because lately the only thing I'm reading is I'm listening to science fiction stuff just purely for enjoyment, and you're actually reading serious books, uh, although I am still reading... Uh, I do
1: both, but yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I still am reading Das Kapital, but we should add a segment to the show where you recommend the book.
1: Okay. Um, I've got a – I don't know if I've recommended it to you yet, but definitely something uh, I got uh, my parents to read recently. Mm. Have you ever read Tomorrow War by Jailborn? No. So it's a fiction uh, book, and uh, it is about an economic collapse, global economic collapse, and the resulting chaos. Hmm. And uh, I sure think it's fairly like well it? written. It, it may be prophecy; we <laughs> <people> will <laughs> see. But uh, given the current economic times and everything that's going on, I think uh, I think a lot of people would enjoy it. It's fairly well written. It's a two book series. Uh, it's the uh, Chronicles of Max Redacted, and uh, it's uh, it's got some good political intrigue and hmm. uh, some realistic stuff. Uh, there's one scene that struck me as just prophetic and it's uh fema has set up a food distribution and you know trying to get emergency supplies out but mm-hmm. because of recent crime in the area and so on um if you are on a firearms purchase lists so if you've ever bought a gun you have to bring those guns in otherwise you don't get food
0: oh so like new orleans
1: yes mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly so um you know it's one of those things that i i can totally see that happening um you know it 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 goes to why i am hesitant to do certain paperwork and get on certain lists but
0: yeah yeah no that makes sense um and then i think there's actually i'd say about a third of the people that i know that have guns don't buy their guns uh in stores Right. Um. There, there. There's a. There's plenty of people who
1: have avoided FFL paperwork, mm-hmm. but the the problem there though is: have they ever bought ammo online? Have they ever used a credit card to buy ammo? You know, or no? Most it... of
0: these people are loading stuff, so they're they're going to their local gun shop buying powder and brass and little.
1: Okay. Did they did they use a credit card for that? You know, is then yeah. the question? And wow. how how far yeah. down the tr- rabbit hole do you go mm-hmm. to have a quote unquote clean gun? It's a yeah. You know, did you ever go to a range and, you know, pay with a credit card at a range or whatever? You exactly. Know? Th- there's lots of leaky information.
0: Yeah. Anytime any <laughs> you're paying with a credit card, you need to have the assumption that those records are going to last forever.
1: Yeah. And, and potentially be used against you. And, you know, people oftentimes when you, when I bring up the amount of government spying and what is going on, um, When the Snowden controversies hit, I was shocked that there wasn't a revolution in this country. And most people took the attitude, of, I'm not doing anything wrong. I have nothing to hide. And I I find that to be a very naive view. You have nothing to hide from people you trust and that don't have malicious intent toward you. Because Mm -hmm. I I don't care who you are. The fact that you think that nothing you do on a daily basis or semi-daily basis could be construed in a bad light given certain manipulations. I I just find as naive.
0: Yeah, it's the, it's a, it's a very naive statement because the definition of what is legal and illegal, first of all, you don't know. Nobody knows because we have how many thousands of pages of laws that Mm -hmm that are being passed without even the people passing the laws knowing what's being passed. Uh and it can change literally on a daily basis. So this idea that well I'm not doing anything wrong. So I I have the opposite assumption is which is I am absolutely doing stuff that is illegal and wrong. Um but I I choose to take that risk for convenience sake. Yeah. <laughs> so my eyes are so if I go and, and uh do something that's perfectly legal, like buying a firearm, but I fill out all the paperwork for it, I really don't worry about it because I've been doing that for 40 years. Uh, and there's been a trail of that paperwork for that long. So whether I I stop doing it now or continue buying a gun and filling out paperwork really doesn't make any difference because uh, right. there's already a huge paper trail out there with my name on it. You know, what, what What was the communist leader?
1: I, I'm blanking, but he said, show me the man and I'll show you the crime.
0: Yeah, that sounds familiar. I can't remember who it is either.
1: Uh, well, you know, what, what but, the things it, but it's things, a true
0: statement. Well,
1: uh, it, it is. And, you know, he, here's the thing is it doesn't even have to be necessarily a crime. Like, look at Trudeau. Uh, Trudeau mm-hmm. He's a laughable character in many ways, but, you know, uh, appearing in blackface. When he did that in college, I'm sure no one thought a thing about it, you know. right? and it wasn't something well and you can take whatever position you want on whether or not it's wrong or not. But at the time it was generally socially acceptable, mm-hmm. but now it depending on your politics could be used to absolutely cancel you. And it's one of those things that we judge things based off our current reference, not the reference of the time all too often.
0: Yeah, no, that is a good point. And, uh, I can't, I mean, looking at what happened with Trudeau and there being no consequences whatsoever for him as a result of that, as a result of imposing martial law, really diminishes my faith in the Canadian people.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I had hopes for the truckers. I had hopes that that would do something, but ultimately, um, it didn't and yep. you know i i think that it's asymmetric warfare in many ways because government government has the ability to use violence without the repercussion yeah and, and and anyone who thinks that uh you know government is by definition force it is violence mm-hmm. um I- time that you are held um Anytime you are held to the standard of if you do not comply with our will, you will either be shot, arrested, uh, or fined to oblivion. you know that's a pretty heavy hand and that that's the nature of government um, but it, that's that's the problem I think we're facing right now is if the truckers engaged in violence, you know the people would turn against them, and it would be bad. However, the Canadian police arresting people, seizing property taking away livelihoods, uh, threatening the children of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, of these protesters. There is really such a disparity in the ability to seek that redress of grievances today because our society has moved to a point where we see violence is not the answer. And, you know, yeah, I, I, when, I just, when are we going
0: to fix that? How do we fix that? Right? Well, violence I, is the answer. It's always been the answer. It's the way that things are built to be changed. And so the only thing that you're promoting or promulgating when you say violence is not the answer over and over to multiple generations, is compliance. Yes. And,
1: you know, I, I, I think that, you know, people often quote Kennedy, those who make peaceful revolution impossible, make violent revolution inevitable. I don't know. I'm not convinced of that. I don't know that, the generations that we have today will would ever stand up and say, "This far, no farther." And if you try it, I, I, I'm I'm not going to comply. I, this is mm-hmm. worth my life. And you know, I, I think that we've gotten to a point where our society is fat and happy in many many ways. And well, that's about to change. No, no doubt. I I, I just worry that, that when t-
0: Biden says that, uh, food shortages are coming what that really means is starvation's coming.
1: Yeah, I and
0: so I yes, potentially. Um it
1: will be interesting. I think Africa is definitely going to get the worst end of this deal. Um I think Russia and uh you know, Russia produces enough to feed itself. Uh and Europe uh for the most part. I I think Europe will get a very raw deal. The US produces the, the U S produces a lot of our own food. Here's we will the, not the have the variety with the US, that we're used to.
0: The problem with the U S is that mm-hmm. we've taken, uh, what is land that can and has produced food mm-hmm. and moved it to producing ethanol and ethanol. That is a, a worse energy delivery, uh, chemical than gasoline mm-hmm. And in the name of environmentalism, we've decided that we're going to, uh, take land that should be producing food and then produce bad fuel. Well, it, it is producing
1: food, right? It is most ethanol comes from corn and corn subsidies. Um, so it is food that is now in competition with, well, I would other argue with things. you about
0: corn being food because, uh, most people can't actually digest it.
1: Eat, eat. Yeah, well, we can get into whether or not wheat and corn and rice and so on um, are viable foods for optimum human health or not, but it is a calorie delivery system. Yeah. And when we're talking about potential starvation and things like that, I think oh, yeah,
0: people will we, eat corn if they're starving. Absolutely. Right.
1: I, I think the corn, wheat and rice production in the U.S. is enough to ensure that the majority of the U.S. population will we we will have a huge calorie reduction, but yeah, have so the we'll ability to survive. <laughs> yeah. Yes, to an extent, but yeah, you, the, what people have to realize is the U.S. the average person lives on such a high end of the calorie spectrum compared yeah. to the rest of the world. Um, you know, most uh, the African nations, you know, sixteen hundred calories is a lot, mm-hmm. and um, you know, a, a drop in five hundred to a thousand calories put you at starvation level. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah, no, that's true. And obviously I am being a little hyperbolic here in, in talking about actual starvation. But I think the idea that that steak that maybe you you're used to having uh you know once a week or something that right now costs eighteen dollars. Uh a lot fewer people are going to be eating that steak once a week when the price of that steak is $85. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, when you go back to before the Great Depression and, you know, Roosevelt, uh, you know, chicken in every pot. Before a lot of the revolutions that came out of the Great Depression and poultry science, you know, most people didn't eat meat at every meal in the United States. Right. Um, that was a pretty recent change and i i think you're going to see a forced uh return to that of you know um not necessarily a vegetarian diet but a diet that is uh far less in protein
0: yeah uh or animal protein anyway. yeah yes it, it's in fact i can't remember who it was i think if somebody in europe um came out i think um yeah, I think it was coming out of the EU, and I can't remember who said it, some woman, but talked about like seven things that people are going to have to start changing. One of which was the, uh, the idea that, uh, meat is something that is consumed on a regular basis because that while meat is very good, uh, for you. And I say that as somebody that is essentially on a caveman diet where I eat a steak every day, But, uh, so I'm a little biased, I'm, I'm willing to admit, uh, but the, the amount of land that's required to raise a thousand pounds of cow, uh, is certainly much more than would be required to have the equivalent amount of calories coming directly from plants.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a loss in the system there, right? Because you have, it's a
0: concentration and loss. So it's, it's like a uh, reverse osmosis filter. You, you get pure water on one end, but on the other end, you're dumping half or more water out than the actual amount that is filtered through. Right. So, um, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so that's, that's why, you know, if I just think of a cow as a filter and, uh, (laughs) and,
1: and it's certainly interesting to see the effects of protein, you know, I mean. Animal protein is required for brain development and growth, Mm -hmm. right? That's one of the things we see in human beings is, and you know, if you think of evolutionary biology, you know, when, when our ancestors theoretically started eating meat is when we had this explosion in mental capacity and we can, you can be on either side of that argument, but the fact is you definitely need complete complex proteins for your brain development, especially when you're young. So, um, I don't know, I guess it's uh, more of a war on our children yet again, right? Between mm-hmm. masks and everything else. Um, or just a war on population. Yeah. Well, if the Georgia Guidestones are to be believed, right? We're, we're, we're uh, 90% population reduction. Yeah. So, yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, which I... Do you have any thoughts about the, the origins of those?
1: Uh, you know... um I have plenty of speculation, but I don't think there's much concrete evidence that would point to, Mm -hmm. you know, fully anything. But, um, I I definitely think, uh, some of the news media, um, was involved, I think. Um, so you think it was
0: Ted Turner is what you're saying?
1: I I think Ted Turner was (laughs) highly involved. Yes. Especially (laughs) given where they are. I
0: I pulled that right (laughs) out of there. I, I think there's a lot of evidence that he is involved. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's I think the the only thing that we can know with certainty is that this this project did come out of people that had a lot of extra money laying around uh, because it, it is not cheap to be able to put something like that together. And so whatever in is secret. written, yeah, it, exactly. It's it's doubly not as cheap and secret. And so whatever is written on there, whether it was just a, a smart-ass joke that they thought would be hilarious that people would be talking about for uh, ages afterwards, which people are, or whether it was some serious, you know, um, bit of uh, desire that was they wanted passed pass down, regardless of what the actual intent was, this could not be accomplished by... People that were even just, you know, seven-figure millionaires. These were nine-figure millionaires that were involved. Yeah. Or, you know, billionaires.
1: Well, you know, and it's an interesting question on whether or not it's just a practical joke, or is it a group of people that have the hubris to publicly declare something like that? Yeah. And, you know, most people, if you ask the average person on the street, what's the Georgia Guidestones? They have no clue. So
0: there's that too. Yep. Yeah. They, so, <laughs> I love those man on the street interviews that a few of the comedians do com- political comedians. Yeah. Like Mark, they, uh, what's his face.
1: It's easy to do and cherry pick things mm-hmm. to the point where, you know, everybody looks stupid, but, but,
0: you, but there was a, he had a segment that somebody is interviewing him where they say, okay, come on. You, you totally cherry pick these interviews. And he says, you know mm-hmm. what? It has gotten so damn easy lately that we don't really need to anymore. We just go out in the street, we'll do seven interviews, we'll use five. Yeah. Like, well, almost all of them are exactly what people are thinking. You know, the, the the sad thing is
1: what that says about our education system, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you've got Darren doing this whole lemon thing, and you, I asked you what it was, and you said oh, you were going to tell yeah, me on yeah, the lemon. show. So, since we were talking yeah. about your caveman diet, I, huh. you know.
0: Yes, and so it is I mean i I don't think I'm using any specific diet what i've what I'm doing is essentially and incidentally, I'm on a cheat week that's just wrapped up. so today is my first day back on the diet after seven days off the diet. but um for the preceding couple of months, uh, what I was doing and what I'm starting back up on today is a uh, a pure meat diet that includes any red meat. And my, my particular preference lately has been bison. I, I really have been enjoying eating bison, both in form of steak and uh, bison hamburgers. Um, they're very tasty. The What I found about two years ago, two or three years ago, I, I tried an, a carnivore diet, caveman carnivore, just essentially an all-meat diet, Um, just to see, it was like, I decided I'm going to do it for a month. I'm going to eat no vegetables, no fruits, no pastas, not literally nothing else other than red meat. And what I discovered is it was really freaking good. Um, I, I had a very consistent, constant energy level throughout the day. I had no up or down as I've experienced in the past with uh just a normal you know typical diet where you you might eat a lot of uh, a lot of combination of carbs, fats, and proteins, but eating purely proteins and fats, I found the energy levels were very consistent um i I started losing weight, not like at a huge rate, but maybe maybe a pound, uh, every week or so, maybe a little less than a pound a week, but consistently. And I, I had plenty of energy. And another thing that I do, and I've done this for a long time is I only eat once a day. So it's a, um, uh, I guess people would describe it these days as intermittent fasting. I've been doing this since before it was called intermittent fasting, although I have been doing it intermittently, meaning I'll do it for like a year and a half, two years. And then I'll have some event happening. Like I'm traveling a lot for work. I have to meet with clients and take them out to eat and stuff. And for like two, three months, I'll just eat multiple times a day. And then I'll go back to really what is more of my standard, which is just eating once a day. Uh, So combine eating once a day with eating only red meat. And there's clearly only one thing missing from that, and that is lemons. And so I, I'd seen a video where a doctor talked about the, uh, uh, the, the fact that most people are not getting the real nutrients out of lemons because the majority of the, uh, the minerals, vitamins, the, the stuff that your body will actually utilize that's in lemons is in the rind. And so it's the part that you throw away. It's the skin Mm -hmm. and the rind. And so you're only getting the acid out of the lemon in the form of the juice, a little bit of sugar in there, a little bit of flavoring, but it really, for the most part, you're throwing away the majority of what's in the lemon. And so his recommendation was if you have a high-speed high blender, uh, like a Vitamix or a Blendtec, um, you can just chuck a full lemon in there. You don't even have to cut it up. Put just a little bit of some kind of liquid. Uh, Water is the simplest, Uh, but it could be something else. I know Darren does, um, he likes uh, almond milk. He puts a little bit of that in there. And just blend it up for a minute or so. And amazingly, what you get, uh, and I just use water. I do the very most basic recipe. I put water in there, just a little tiny bit of salt, and then uh, a whole lemon uh, washed lemon because it is covered in rice. Right. So the
1: salt to cut the bitterness even further.
0: No, the salt, just cause I don't get enough salt in my daily diet. So I just try and salt everything. Cause I, I, when you only eat once a day and when you eat a, a high caloric food, like steak, um, it's almost a struggle to get enough salt to get, uh, for your normal bodily functions. Uh, cause you know, most people eating regular American food have way too much salt intake Because almost everything contains salt. Mm -hmm. Eating this way, you're getting very little salt. And so I try and salt everything that I eat or drink. Um, Except for tea. I don't salt the tea because tea would taste funny with salt water. But um, anyway, so I just put a a dash of salt in there. Uh, If I wanted to add some flavor and I don't do this, but I would probably just put a a leaf of mint in there as well. And then blend it all up together. And then, then it would be a little minty tasting as well what we end up so, with, it really just tastes like a frothy lemonade and frothy with just water without any kind of milk type substance in there. Because that, that white sort of rindy stuff uh, that normally is part of the skin, when it's all blended up, it does sort of create a frothiness about it. So, so I guess
1: what benefits of that are you and Darren seeing since you've got him doing it too?
0: Well, I was shocked when he started doing it, because I was ex- telling it to him just as in, you know, here's yet another weird thing that Gene does. <laughs> next thing I know... There's he's... a
1: little bit of a list there,
0: yeah. Uh-huh. There's not... <laughs> a little bit. Uh Next thing I know, he's telling me that, yeah, I'm really liking this. Then he's like, yeah, my wife's doing it now, too. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> I didn't intend to try and convert people to do it, but try it. The other benefit... So the, the part of the benefit is you're you're getting some natural source of vitamins. And I suppose mm-hmm. if all that I'm eating other than that, no no vegetables of any kind, nothing is just meat. Now I do take a boatload of supplements. I mean, mm-hmm. like at this point, I think I take about 18 or 20 pills in the morning. And so I may be slightly overdoing it, but again, what I'm doing is I'm ensuring that I my body has the adequate supply of anything that I would normally be getting if I was eating a more balanced diet. Um, I'm just doing it all, you know, in very small quantities in the palm of my hand in the morning. And then I'm just eating the steak, uh, in the afternoon. And I'm about to go have a, uh, uh, one pound filet mignon right after we're done recording. (laughs) So a very expensive diet. Well, it is. And and that's uh, just a jump back in time. So two years ago, whenever I was doing it, there was only really one main reason and one secondary reason that I stopped. So after doing it for a month, I thought it was great. I kept on doing it and I did it for another month. And at about the 70 day mark or so, I had two things that kind of made me decide to go and broaden my food intake again, one of which was I had at that point cooked uh, my steaks every possible way I can imagine, and mm. I was just getting bored, like there was not enough variety involved um and i I sort of have fixed it this time around by altering the type of red meat that I'm eating, and then when I was yeah, doing throwing it, in bison and everything else, yeah yeah, yeah. bison and um uh, elk and all kinds of stuff venison venison, yeah. yep, and in the past, I was just doing cow, so I just sort of maxed out the the variety of ways of cooking steak. And then the other thing was uh it was it was definitely a factor, it was not the main reason, but it was definitely a factor is that on this diet uh, my my average cost of the one meal that I was eating a day was in the $50 range. Mm-hmm. So I'm spending 50 bucks to eat once a day and I'm cooking myself. And uh like if anything that price has probably gone up between 2 years ago and today. But, um, uh, but yeah, I was just basically just buying tenderloins, uh, over and over and just making fillets every single day. Right now I'm alternating more to have variety of both types of red meat, as well as sometimes I do hamburger. Sometimes I do a uh, steak, uh, sometimes, well, I'd say most of the time, if it is a steak, I'm doing uh tenderloin. So either fillet or, or some other preparation of that. And occasionally doing other cuts of meat as well. Um, but I am very partial to the tenderloin. I mean, that's if I had to pick one thing to eat, which this diet kind of is picking one thing to eat, um, (laughs) this, that would be it. And it's, it's the only meat in my opinion that I can eat raw and, uh, and do it over and over and over again. Like it's, there's no other kind of meat that I can either successfully eat raw or eat the same cut over and over and over whereas the uh, the fillet I'm perfectly happy doing that all day long um but the, what the yeah. lemon does cuz that was the original question is I think it adds just enough of a uh you know an Dry. aromatic element yeah cuz that's really what what fruits have or even vegetables uh, to a large extent and why we use them in cooking is is the aromatic element like Mm -hmm. it brings in flavors that literally do not exist in meat uh and and so having a lemon drink really kind of makes that work well for me so when you're preparing your meat you're not
1: using you know like garlic and only salt things like that only 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 salt salt. Mm -hmm. man i i couldn't cook like that I just couldn't. <laughs> I I I am a, I am a season my steak kind of guy. Right? Right, I hear I, you. I, yeah. yeah, and there are like I I make a rub that I use for pretty much everything. That's mm-hmm. uh, half Lowry seasoned salt, half mm-hmm. uh, pepper by volume. Mm-hmm. Uh, mix that up, and then I add probably by volume a to that mixture a third garlic powder and okay. a little bit of herbs, <laughs> and that just gets thrown on pretty much everything
0: yeah then that that definitely sounds tasty and again it's not like i'm not as purist this time around as i was a couple years ago when i first tried doing it because i want to just continue doing this diet indefinitely with occasional breaks um Mm -hmm. and and what happens when i have the break is like that's the week that i'll eat some pasta that's the week that i'll actually eat some bagels stuff that Mm -hmm. i always used to enjoy but i don't do on this diet uh, so I, I guess right before this last week, which was the break, I think I went for about three months, uh, on just meat. And so now I'm, I'm back to just me. And like on Monday, I've got a business lunch. I got to go to, but we're going to Fogo de Chao. So yeah. I'm going to get to just <laughs> eat just meat at my lunch meeting. Uh, uh, there you go, Brazilian
1: yeah. steakhouse for the win.
0: Yeah, exactly. So there, there's plenty of ways. The biggest, you know, the, the biggest problem with going to Fogo is having the willpower to avoid eating the little cheesy bread things. Because mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm.
1: so goddamn good. Yeah, it, well, and they've always got a good salad bar too. Yeah, but, yeah. and
0: that's the irony I've always thought is hilarious: is that one of the best salad bars in any city is at yep. a is a meat place. <laughs> Exactly. The, the majority of people just are like salad bar. What? Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: <clears throat> so, you know, it's interesting because I, I've explored a lot of dietary mm-hmm. changes and one of the biggest things for me a few years ago was, uh, I stopped using canned vegetables. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I was working, I was doing, um, outages at power plants and securing control systems doing lots of fun and interesting things that i'm sure we'll talk about more as this goes on but um i was working one particular outage it was a refit of a power plant in the control system and you know putting in some actual cybersecurity around it and um it was a long long slog this project was we we were we had 30 days and to do you know, millions and millions, of dollars of work. And, um, so we're talking 12 hour days, seven days a week for extended periods of time. And I got to where I was drinking two pots of coffee plus energy drinks daily. Right. And I was just brain fogged and just Mm -hmm. worn out and probably the heaviest I've ever been. And, uh, I made some dietary changes. I did some supplementation changes. And I dropped down to under a pot of coffee a day and I'm still there and I lost 30 pounds Mm -hmm. and it was just a massive difference. And the big thing there was doing some iodine supplementation, some hormone things and getting off the canned vegetables and come to find out, um, you know, most canned goods have a BPH liner that is an Mm -hmm. estrogen mimicker, Mm -hmm. right? So it it was totally dietary induced hormonal issues for me and a mm. few changes and boom there you go. Um and it was a rapid enough uh rapid enough change by just making these few changes that within a few weeks it was just dramatic changes in energy levels and mm. everything else. I mean it, I literally from within 2 weeks I cut back on the coffee and energy drinks to the point where i had a case of monsters that i ended up giving to some of the power plant guys (laughs) you know like here y'all drink these i don't need them anymore yeah so it's amazing to me how powerful diet changes can be and it's one of those things that people don't realize how big of a change it can have on your mental state not just your body not just oh yeah weight loss or things like that but your mental clarity and ability to think
0: it It is a huge thing. And I can't remember if you had the COVIDs or not. Uh, I had, uh, COVID about two, three months ago, something like that, whatever it was. And yeah, m-
1: my wife, my parents and I had it, uh, last October.
0: Okay. Yeah. And there was a couple of things. One was definitely the brain fog, which I think everybody is, But, um, the other thing that I wasn't really, um, I didn't realize it was going to be the case, was I completely had no appetite during COVID. And so I had, uh, I think it lasted for about 10, 11 days, right around there for me, so it wasn't quick. Um, And by the symptoms, it looked like I I had Delta, not Omicron. And going uh, through the period of time with no appetite, Where for literally the first time in my life, I had to remind myself to eat something like, oh, I haven't eaten yet today. It's already 8 PM. I should probably eat something. And the only thing I would want to eat, would I would open up like a six ounce yogurt, uh, and then eat half of that and put it back in the fridge and then go back (laughs) to sleep because I was sleeping like a good 20 hours a day during COVID. Yeah,
1: so it hit you pretty hard. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, it was definitely hard. Um, <laughs> so you know, it's
1: interesting that you would choose for a respiratory illness to eat something that would aid in mucus production.
0: Um, well, that's because well, that's that's a good point. But I was trying to eat anything that I could think of that I didn't have a negative reaction to mentally. Like, right. like I also. Um, I bought, I think, raspberries for the first time in about nine months at that point as well. And because I just had, like, if I'm mentally thinking of different foods, most of that reaction during COVID was like, eh, don't really want that. Don't want that. I
1: I think the biggest impact there is the impact on your sense of smell, right? So,
0: you know, people say that I never really had a reduction in smell, or if I did, it was very gradual and gradually came back. So it never really... I never had a noticeable reduction in smell.
1: Yeah. I, 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 mine was the same way. I didn't really notice a difference in smell, just mm-hmm. really the, where I noticed it was taste. Um, but my, my wife was pregnant at the time and mm-hmm. had a huge shift in her sense of smell, mm-hmm. right. Having it going from pregnancy nose and you know, a very sensitive, uh, nose to nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. So she noticed that right away. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Um so yeah, so for me, the like during COVID I lost like twenty five pounds. Mm-hmm. And uh and my stomach got used to not having much food in there. And so once COVID went away uh, You just maintained it. I no, I wish I did. Oh no, hell no. <laughs> I I I kinda tried to for a while, but then I was like, Oh, you know, I actually like I have an appetite. I'm gonna order some pizza. And I would order a pizza <laughs> and Normally I'd order like two pizzas and I would eat one, you know, that day. And then I'd have the other one in the fridge for the next day. And, and after COVID I would eat like a slice and I'd feel full. And I was like, God damn it. So I, I have to put the rest of the pizza away. And then the next day I'd eat a slice. And then I was like, well, I don't want pizza anymore. So I'd throw away a whole pizza that normally would have been gone within, you know, 24 hours, uh, Gene. That, so, a whole pizza to oneself. Now,
1: are we talking like a, you know, uh, a a uh, mod pizza, like a little, you know, 10-inch personalized good, pizza? In a or,
0: Twelve a 12-inch 12 pizza. What, do you not eat a pizza?
1: I, no, I won't no, eat a whole pizza. You figure like out how many pi- people
0: you have, and then you order that number of pizzas. That's usually how the rules go that seems excessive <laughs> it, it's, it probably is about 4000 calories that's a good point but uh but to be fair uh i i'm ordering the the thin style pizza the uh you know cracker style pizza not yeah. the the thicker stuff so there's yeah, less it, dough involved but yes uh point yeah. taken but again like my brain had remembered though, like, oh yeah i used to love pizza let me order uh, a couple of pizzas and like you know couple of different flavors and I'll have some for tomorrow. And and the the body was like, uh, yeah, no, we got room for a slice in here and that's about it.
1: <laughs> it's definitely interesting how fast your stomach will change, right? It's and, yeah, totally. And in in Americans are used to overeating. Yeah. So uh, that's one thing that maybe will change if Biden's predictions hold true, but uh, unfortunately I don't think it's just Biden's predictions. Um so Back to the geopolitics of it. Oh, okay.
0: I thought we were still talking about lemons. Okay.
1: What do you think the. Uh, so, you know, I, I see this as an interesting dichotomy because we have BlackRock coming out and saying mm-hmm. that this Ukraine thing is the end of globalization. Mm-hmm. And I've always been anti globalist. So I'm like, okay. Yeah, well, except uh, when someone like he, uh, Blackrock is saying it, that makes me go, okay, what the hell did I just miss, right? <laughs> um, I, so I, I think we have some interesting warring groups that are, you know, new money, old money is a divide that Mo mm-hmm. has used. And I don't know if that's the right level of analysis, but there's definitely uh, some things going on that won't be good for us. And the best thing I can figure out thus far is we've gone down this path of globalization and now they're needing the great reset because well, the banks have printed all the money and the house of cards is starting to fall in on itself. So now we're going to go back to instead of a globalist, Oh, you know, outlawry of war sort of thing. Right. Um, to the next cold war.
0: Right. Uh, at the very least, to it's some not a extent, war. I don't, know that it's really going to be the next cold war because the u.s will not be the dominant superpower anymore and so when it's not the dominant superpowers that are war, it just doesn't matter nearly as much um i think uh that the the outcome of what's happening right now that if if people want to draw a line in time you can say when uh when russia came into ukraine to liberate it um, what i did there so yeah i did uh, if you want to draw the line at that i think the big thing that that has become very very evident is the the downfall of the united states from a financial economic standpoint and the rise of china as the primary superpower in the world I don't know that that's written in stone at this point yet. Though. Well, we can wish for it, but I'm pretty sure Biden will ensure it is going to be written in uh, stone. Maybe, so far, but there's a lot of powerful interests that don't necessarily want
1: the downfall of America,
0: right? A lot fewer than you think. If you if you look at what's going on outside of the United States, the majority of people are actually rah rahing the fall down of the United States because there is uh, outside the United States and, and outside of, um, people that play with the United States. And what I mean by that are the political class, the, the rich effectively, um, outside of that. Most people really see the United States and have seen the United States as a bully. It's, it's a country that talks about their exceptionalism their their uniqueness in the world to be able to do things on a unilateral unilateral basis without consideration for what those actions represent to other parties so in some sense while talking globalism the united states has very much been acting in its own interest and it's mm. been able to do that because it has been the economic force that it has been for so long in a large part because of the petrodollar because it is the currency of the world or has been up to this point and not just simply the currency of the united states uh the problem is that the united states has outsourced all of its production and has been buying raw materials and the only thing that the united states does and i think it's kind of summarized on every apple product that you buy and i buy all of them unfortunately, but I'm just, I just like the Apple aesthetic a lot more is the designed in California, little imprint on every box, Mm -hmm. because what it's telling you is we don't actually make anything. We just come up with ideas for what things should be. And we're damn good at that. And they're products that sell well and people like to use, but we couldn't build it if our lives depended on it here. Right, but I
1: what I'm getting at is, so we have these powerful interests that are potentially saying, okay, end of globalization, let's regionalize again, and Russia, you're going to be with China, India, and so on, and then the rest of the world is, you know, we're going to have an east-west divide.
0: Which, I don't think we are. I think we're going to have a North America versus the rest of the world divide. That will be a very interesting
1: position for us to be in
0: but it's given the position that, that we were in prior to World War
1: 1 well but prior to World War 1 the US was pretty isolationist
0: Mhm and we're going to end up being there and I,
1: the United and States I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing No <laughs> I don't
0: I don't think it's a bad thing it's a painful thing but it may not be oh, a bad Oh yeah thing. yeah
1: yeah it definitely will be painful for us and yeah. it, what I would say is that if we can rebuild the economy Yeah uh we definitely have the natural resources for it we yeah. got to, you know we, we I mean, have
0: unused natural resources and no factories So we have to rebuild a lot to get there, but it's probably for future generations. It's probably going to be a good thing.
1: Well, and you know, here, here's the thing though. We, we have the ability to produce quite frankly, cheaper energy than anyone else in the world. If Mm -hmm. we would let our companies do it, um, we have enough coal to provide for all of, uh, the energy and steel production needs for several hundred years. Mm -hmm. In the U.S., coal alone, not to mention natural gas. Yeah, and we natural have natural gas there, for years.
0: Absolutely. Yes.
1: And you know, um, which we can get into the fossil fuel argument, but coal can be done cleanly. Um, there are several clean plants. Uh, literally, one of one of the power plants that uh, my former company owned, uh, they had to for they had to go to a Sims company, which is continuous emissions monitoring systems. And invent a new mercury analyzer because the mercury removal rates were so low, mm. right, um, that you can do clean coal. You have the Kemper County Project in Mississippi where they're trying to do a sin gas uh, and be able to burn uh, mm-hmm. a coal sin gas in a uh, combined cycle unit. Yeah, I read about that. Yeah. So there, there's lots of cool things. Um, it's just do we have enough of runway to try and bring in you know, what the Biden administration is doing with the chip production here mm-hmm. in the U.S., right? Bring in enough resources and build up enough of an economy here before the utter collapse, right?
0: Yeah, and and that's the Or is thing, it going to be
1: the build back better from the ashes?
0: I don't know how fast of a collapse it'll be. It may be a gradual downward spiral. It may be an abrupt thing. I don't know. I can't predict that. The one thing I will say is that with countries like India, China, and Saudi Arabia talking about not using petrodollars and using other currencies, whether it's the ruble or the uh, uh, the rupee or, you know, the remi or whatever. Doing deals in, in that money means we have a... We're going to... Well, we don't just have, but we're going to see the consequences of a massive volume of dollar supply that is no longer needed yeah. which go it's, ahead it's uh i mean i i don't see a way how that doesn't lead to mass inflation well it
1: it it will but here here's the thing those other countries have those dollars there um you know uh it, it, they they have those dollar reserves um they can choose to stop using them but that doesn't mean i mean then it's just a stagnant resource that well, it's you not know, it because necessarily...
0: it's it, these resources are going to be sold on on forex, and then the price will keep dropping, which is inflation. So, if mm-hmm. right now, uh, so
1: if would, if Americans choose to buy those dollars back, yes,
0: well, if, in some if sort if anybody of to buy in the end, for as well, we're not at a point yet where you can't buy gold with dollars. Maybe we'll get there where it's literally be able, impossible to buy actual commodities with dollars. But at that point, we're in the Waiman Republic where we're hauling, you know, truckloads of money to go buy a piece of bread. Um, but right now as the global demand for dollars drops, uh, you know, it's, it's going to leave an excess of dollars on those exchanges, which will drop the value of the dollar compared to every other currency which domestically may not have a huge immediate effect, but it'll absolutely have an effect when it comes to trade And the the United States has been importing. Uh, for so long, we've been importing way more than we export. Like there's trade deficits with pretty much every country, uh, because we're really good at designing products in California and then not doing anything after that initial step inside the country. We want to do all of that in places where we don't have to worry about cheap slave labor in places that don't have people that want a better, uh, climate. And so they can spew pollutants into rivers, i.e. China, you know, we, we just don't do things domestically and the price we're going to pay for that is going to be very evident very soon as the collapse happens.
1: Do you think – so in previous administrations, anytime someone has openly said anything about trading oil and anything but the petrodollar, you know, i.e. Qaddafi and the goldback dinar –
0: Yeah, we just took them out.
1: Exactly. <laughs> so what I would say there is it's interesting to me. Uh, I saw a uh, – I think I sent it to you. I saw a video yesterday that uh, was circulating, and it was an attack on a Saudi oil storage facility yeah. – and they were blaming it on Houthi rebels. Right. And, you know, it, it was a missile attack. And back in my mind, I'm going, was it the Houthis or was it mm-hmm. us or was it proxy? And, you know, are we going to, quote, unquote, Wait, allow... Wait, did you know that
0: the United States was always friends with the Houthis?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: it, it, but
1: my my question is, are, are we going to, quote, unquote, allow China, India and Russia to move away from the petrodollar? Or are we going to... Say, if you do that, there will be consequences, i.e. Qaddafi. Uh, I, we're right? running
0: out of consequences is the problem. Because if the United States wants to get in the hot war, the problem is where the countries that we're talking about, other than Saudi Arabia, all have nuclear weapons. Yeah. India okay. has them, China has them, Russia has them. Saudi Arabia doesn't. But Saudi Arabia has plenty of money to be able to proxy nuclear weapons. So the the thing that uh, you never see on mainstream media news that has been pointed out by numerous people, myself included, on the alternative news sites is that if you look at all the conflicts that the United States has been in since World War II, first of all, the percentage of what can be generally classified as a victory is very small because even when the United States manages to occupy something, it doesn't actually win. It just Agreed. prolongs this, this semi-stable, but ultimately short-term, uh, you know, I don't even know what to call it. It's like, how long did it take for the Taliban to take over Afghanistan once the U.S. was out of there? Three days? Yeah,
1: well, <laughs> but, you know, here's the thing. I would say that the U.S. has not had a war since World War II. Yeah. Where its, it's heart not was in declared it. declared war. Well, and and that's the problem, right? So, yeah. you know, the the Vietnamese, the, the conflict in Vietnam, first of all, the French screwed that up to begin oh,
0: with. totally. Yeah, and left us <laughs> holding a pile of shit.
1: Yes. And, you know, quite frankly, we should have just evacuated the country and yep. moved on with our lives. Um, the Korean conflict, which my grandfather was in, mm-hmm. was, you know, uh, it's interesting because MacArthur wanted to use nukes. Mm-hmm. And it, it 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 comes down to we decided that we were ever since World War II and being the only country to actually ever use nukes in a conflict,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, we decided that we were going to limit ourselves. And it, it's it, it's an interesting dichotomy because as a result, to your point, we've had very little victories, mm-hmm. and um. I would I would and say that we, co- we haven't had these, any actually and if you look at it longer Yeah, I know,
0: that's the problem. Is like you can say, well, we weren't technically defeated, but we sure as hell didn't win. But the other issue is all of these conflicts that we've been in since World War II have been with third world countries.
1: Proxy wars, yeah.
0: And yeah, and so they've they've generally had much lower consequences than being at war with another nuclear power. Yeah, but but so that that's kind of where uh we've gone
1: to though is all proxy wars, right?
0: Well and it's... we were doing that to a large extent because uh because we had this this dichotomy in the world. We had a a, a balance between the communist bloc and the freedom bloc, right? Mm-hmm. So when we lost that, when the Soviet Union was finally defeated and the United States was left as the only superpower. Uh, we had an incredible opportunity to redraw the world in the way that we wanted it to be. And I think what happened instead is a land grab by the political and uh, ultra ultra rich classes to go towards globalism and focus not on uh, ensuring that the ideals, that created America were spread far and wide, but rather on how do I get mine and keep it? The idea that Russia has oligarchs and the United States doesn't is completely absurd. We had oligarchs before Russia ever did, and we still have them. You mentioned Ted Turner earlier. How is Ted yeah. Turner not an oligarch? Well,
1: Carol Quigley, let, let's go. I mean, have you ever read Tragedy and Hope? No. So Carol Quigley, uh, which by the way, uh, someone who got Clinton to be a Rhodes Scholar, mm-hmm. so that should tell you a lot about him. Mm-hmm. He wrote Tragedy and Hope, which was and is the basis of the idea of MAD and of these proxy wars, right? Mm-hmm. When we did it to the Russians too, and ironically enough, in Afghanistan, right? Anyone who's mm-hmm. seen Charlie oh, yeah. Wilson's War, that you know, that's that's that was part a great of the book. reason.
0: That is a book I actually read. Uh, yeah, and really enjoyed it. Well, I mean people don't realize, but we
1: spent billions in Afghanistan for the Taliban to overthrow and kick out the Russians
0: mm-hmm.
1: only to leave the uh, average age of the nation at the end of it. Uh, I think the average age was like 14 or 15, when mm-hmm. then we spent nothing on education in that nation that we we had a very bloody hand in. And I think the one of the biggest mistakes that the U.S. has made – was the formation of the intelligence agencies and this idea of proxy wars, mm-hmm. and Carol Quigley's book *Tragedy and Hope* was very influential on uh, on politicians and driving us down that path. Um, you know, I, I think we we talked about it before. I think that uh, part of the reason why I think drafts are immoral is because I think if you can't get people to um, Willingly fight in a war, then you should probably re-examine why you're fighting that war. Yep. And I, the proxy wars that we've been engaged in, both you know, all, all all nations, but the U.S. particularly, were really amoral wars. That had you said, "We're going to declare war on Korea," and you know, we're going to fight the communists there, the the U.S. population would not have gone for it congress would never be able to pass a declaration of war same thing for vietnam same thing for uh, iraq everything right yeah i
0: i totally agree because the basis is not there like what what is the justification for invading another country to provide support for a country that's going through a revolution like what justifies that we get to pick which side a civil war or a revolution uh, is going to garner support of the United States. Well, there, there's only one honest answer, which is the side that we have the best chance of uh, making money with. Yeah, the relationships. It, it, that's what all the color revolutions were that were sponsored by the United States amongst the, uh, what, six, seven countries in the Middle East and Africa? And and Ukraine. And Ukraine. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Africa, Ukraine, it's getting to be closer together at this point. Uh, and Egypt was the, uh, the only one that actually managed to push things back after what is it, a year, 18 months, something like that, yeah. uh, where they're like, yeah, we're not having any of this shit. And so the army took over and, uh, they restored the country back to a non U S instilled government.
1: Yeah I think it's interesting that we have allowed our politicians
0: to take us down those roads and
1: you that's know because I, we're I th- fat and happy
0: I mean that's the thing is when the civil when the populace is you know uh given free uh free bread and goes to the Coliseum to enjoy themselves they tend to be you know a lot more willing to let the politicians do what they want
1: but what is the difference between the populace that are willing to be fat and happy and ignore reality. Uh, And quite frankly, people like you and I that see this and take a principled idea and say, you know, this, this is, this is wrong. Why are we doing this?
0: Yeah. Well, there is an argument to be made that while we may see that this is wrong, unlike most of the people and we can impact our personal actions to minimize things that we see as being immoral but ultimately the that isn't a full commitment level in the in the same way that guys like kaczynski had who also (laughs) saw the immorality of these actions and took it to the ultimate end which is taking personal responsibility for the immorality of the country yeah to make changes and i'm by no means Am I implying or calling for, that, yeah. for any kind of uh, you know I, I, ac- actions I, against politicians? But ultimately, uh, and this was a question I was going to ask you is at which point do you think things get so bad that the military joins with the cause of rebuilding the government of the country? Because in most countries, that is the pivotal point at which the revolution succeeds. It's not when there's a rabble with signs that's making noise and making people pissed off that somebody is uh, annoying them. It's the point at which the leadership of the military supports the new government, at which point there is no choice for the old government but to leave.
1: Yeah, so I I think that unfortunately we're at a bad place because I think large portions of the military – under the Biden administration, and I'll go back to that Supreme Court ruling and our conversation on, you know, defending the police. I, I think that the people who are staying in those roles um, are not the people we would ostensibly want in those roles. Right. I think mm-hmm. a lot of the good soldiers and the good officers who will question things um, and say, yeah, no, I'm not shutting down this mom and pop store for your uh, COVID regulations, those, those people are moving on and doing other jobs. And you have the, I'll just say it, the, quite frankly, jackboot thugs that will follow orders and uh do something that they should know is wrong, but, you know, they want to keep their job and are willing to impose a tyrannical order on other people. Um So that, that worries me. Um, that said, there are a lot of pe- – the, the, the advantage that the U.S. has is that the – there are a lot of people who think like you and I, and we have a lot of guns in this country. And I think that that is the single strongest defense we have as far as preventing a color revolution or a communist revolution truly happening in this uh, in this country overnight.
0: Well, it, it. but I think we've been experiencing a gradual, I will certainly say from my standpoint, a, a gradual communist revolution in this country for the last 20 years or so, really oh, yeah. ever since Reagan left and the Bush centrist, uh, read my lips. I'm lying to you. Uh, family came in. it the Bush crime family. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it really like Bush could have literally run on either side of the political party. And it just sort of happened that he ran as a Republican because back then it was kind of considered the Democrats were more of the, you know, the, the hippie types and the Republicans were more of the monies. But honestly, from an idea standpoint, there was so little difference between, uh, the policies of Bush and the policies of Clinton that they could have easily swapped parties and it wouldn't have really mattered.
1: Yeah well you know the interesting thing and in where i was going to go with this is we are not going to see an overnight revolution here in this country but when i think back to my grandfather and my great grandfather my grand, my great grandfather actually quit uh magnolia oil uh he was uh, he worked for magnolia oil uh when they said uh bill you can't bring your gun into the office anymore Mm-hmm. And he was a few years short of retirement, had been working there since his service in World War One was up. Uh, he was an engineer. He was Army Corps of Engineers. And then anyway, and, uh, you know, when they said you can't wear your gun to work anymore, he quit because he, damn it, he was going to wear his gun wherever the hell he wanted. Mm-hmm. And I think to today and what his reaction, you know, we're t- we're talking just two generations removed, right? What he would think about this nation that exists today, and he would be shocked. He would not recognize it as the same nation. And point agree that you know, ferreting out people and blacklisting people and dragging them in front of the Senate for their ideology is bad. But at the same time, they had a point. And you know, the communist subversives, and if you think about the um, Fabian socialists and things like that. Uh, they were fighting a culture war with us, but back to the 60s, 70s, and mm-hmm. 80s. And as a result, you know, we have in academia and now in SCOTUS, or to be in SCOTUS, yeah. you know, some very, very um, communistic, idealized. Uh, individuals and that that culture war and failing that culture war early on in the fifties mm-hmm. and sixties is what's led us here today. And, and you know,
0: and having seen <clears throat> firsthand both uh Soviet communists and American communists, and I don't mean the people that are going to the rallies and you know with communists I mean the actual communists, like you said, the one that's probably going to end up in SCOTUS, uh, and the ones that are running Black Lives Matter. I will say that Russians did a horrible job of adhering to communism. Like Russians had too many, uh, obviously generalizing here because there were a variety of Russians, but in general, Russians were mediocre at doing communism uh, because they had too many other um, value system that uh, they relied on. Uh, like a a big example of that, for example, is while communism calls for all workers, all men to be treated um, equally, uh, that in Russia was completely ignored. And it was a, not just was it trying to adhere to communism principle, but there was a very very strong sort of a um almost a mafia like kind of like friends and friends of friends are the only ones that are allowed to uh make headway kind of approach
1: but we see that in every communist nation right well the party members are the yeah 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 and
0: chinese are crappy communists too i'm just saying i I I don't
1: think there's ever such thing as a good communist
0: (laughs) well that could be taken multiple ways but uh but I, I think in the United States there's a lot more um a lot more of trying to get to that utopian kind of state of communism by calling it other names. But you know, I, I'm not trying to exalt the virtues of communism here. I'm saying in terms of adherence to what the cause proclaims or deviating from what the cause proclaims. I think in the United States, that, that desire is a lot more, uh, it's closer to what the cause is saying. So however, communism, uh, you can say worked or didn't work in, in the Soviet union, uh, what it really did is just simply establish a slightly different political system for totalitarianism and whether it was totalitarianism around communism or around capitalism or around fascism or whatever, it it would have still predominantly been a totalitarian society in Russia. Um, it just so happened that it was around communism. And I feel like in the United States, because communism has been gradually over the last 60 years, been pushing its way through academia and into the mainstream now and into a lot of sectors like that that communism is not simply just a way for totalitarians to take over but there are true believers out there there are people that actually buy into this shit not simply utilizing it for their own benefit and that's kind of the i guess the point i was getting at is in russia it was mostly just you know a means to an end
1: well i mean you say that but you had the gradual purges and you know purity tests of communistic thought, and that's yes. that's why communism has been the most murderous ideology that has ever existed. Now, you know that that said, I think that uh, to kind of summarize the way we resist this and fix it is um, culturally, right? Yeah. How, how we how we combat all of this is culturally, and it's it's about understanding freedom. It's about understanding the sovereignty of the individual, and it's about you know, people who have those sorts of ideals having kids and not leaving the education of your children up to the state that is communistic, but, um, you know, you know, teach, teach the children, right. And, uh, there will be eventually a counter-revolution.
0: Well, maybe, um, I think one of the, one of the big mistakes that the the i i don't even want to call them republicans because republicans are all rhinos no. now that's all there is but the mistakes that the conservative side has made is in not coming up with ways to leverage or utilize the reality of the migration that is happening from the south into the united states across the border illegally and the 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 liberal and communist factions have absolutely leveraged that like where where is the humanitarian slash training camps to talk to these illegals and explain the virtues of capitalism to them well
1: there's a lot of cultural issues there but you know one of the things that i would i know man i think everybody can
0: understand capitalism like here's stuff you have here's stuff i have
1: Right. But the <laughs> cultural issue there is, you know, South America, Central America is a, a very corrupt society, exactly. generally. And that, that's the portion that is problematic. And I'm not saying the U.S. is not corrupt. We have plenty of corruption here. Um, but I, I think the, the problem is the framing of this because people like me, I'm not a conservative. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you look at my value system and what I believe in, I mm-hmm. am a classical liberal yeah in in every sort of stretch of the world and I, I think the true conservatives are equally problematic to the true communists right um
0: yeah the terms have really gotten muddled a lot i i totally agree and i've always been a libertarian um certainly ever since high school when i first read atlas Shrugged. but it's something that i've had more differentiation from conservatives back then than i think i do now because things like um uh i don't know gay marriage i guess is one like i always thought this is a stupid thing to waste any time on because first of all government shouldn't be in the business of marriage that's that's something that's really more of a religious thing than anything else uh and why the hell is the government giving tax breaks to people uh, that happened to be lucky enough to have kids, but not people that aren't lucky enough to have kids. Like it it seemed very, very stupid to me, but the conservatives were all, you know, pro, uh, anti-gay marriage, pro family values, blah, blah, blah. So I've always seen myself as kind of an outsider on both sides. And obviously having experienced communism firsthand, I have no, uh, interest in in that side of the equation either.
1: You know, what's interesting is just to go back to the idea and to reinforce the idea that we really have a unitary party system in the yeah. U.S. You know, there were Democrats, uh, including our current president, who were, you know, not terribly mad about the defense of marriage bill in the early mm-hmm. 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know. <laughs> oh, Hillary's he, is all for it. Oh, exactly. But uh, Biden, you know, I, I, I can't remember where his vote ended up but um you know he certainly wouldn't uh wouldn't take the same position today yeah. so
0: biden was never a rock the boat politician he always no. went along with the party
1: yeah he he's yeah uh, uh, unfortunately he's one of those uh, careerists in politics that yeah. become corrupt that we should and never, problematic.
0: we should never get to a point like this again where somebody has never had a real job in their entire life and has basically made millions if not hundreds of millions off of special access that's what he's always been good at
1: so you know over at no agenda adam and john have been talking about this being a reenactment of the 70s um i I think it's uh A, a funny concept but you know uh I, I sure hope it's not true because the whole idea of ending up with Nancy Pelosi as the potential president is a terrifying prospect. I think that would be worse than Biden.
0: Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. I I think there's definitely a pendulum at, at work here, and I've talked about this before. Oh, my uh, my friend uh, Roy Williams has written a book called Pendulum that talks about the cycles the 40-year cycle between individualism and, uh, what's the opposite of that? I keep wanting to say communism, but it's not that. It's, um, collectivism, collectivism versus individualism. And, and like 83 was the peak of individualism. So 40 years from that would be 2023 is the peak of collectivism. And he traces a cycle going back like a thousand years.
1: It's similar to the cycle that's depicted in the four turnings as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Exactly. And that goes to Biden's comments about a change in the world order. Mm-hmm. Well, the last change in the world order was end of World War II. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're right here at the end of the fourth turning, ready for a crisis and a change in the world order.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it There are a lot of patterns that people have been picking up on. I think a lot of religious texts allude to repetitive patterns as well. Uh, one of my favorite TV shows, uh, Battlestar Galactica, had the famous phrase of, uh, we've all been here before and we'll be here again. Um, so, well, History doesn't repeat itself, but it sure oftentimes rhymes. Right? <laughs> yeah, but maybe it does repeat itself. We don't know. How do we know? So I, I think that the common element here is the way that human brains work and that we've only experienced a few hundred years of evolution since, uh, uh, since all the technologies come about, but our brains haven't really changed much since the, the founding fathers first fought a war, uh, against the British. So there's. And
1: then immediately screwed themselves by going with the federal system <laughs> was, versus right. a. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. well, and again, that's the thing is it, there nothing's ever going to be perfect it, there's no um there's no group of people that will always agree with each other long term even if they if a group of people forms that agrees on a particular issue once the issue is resolved either negatively or positively division will come about that's just normal psychology uh, yes so with all of that in mind Now, this is why I said just if you look at historically, when changes happen in governments, uh, when revolutions become successful, that pivotal point more often than not is the point where the head of military joins with the rebellion. And Mm -hmm. from your analysis that we're moving further from that happening in this country, which is a sad I think it's probably a true analysis, but it's a sad statement because it probably means that the United States has to experience a lot more socialism and communism before things move in the other direction.
1: Well, my level of analysis was that I think that we are radicalizing our military and and, and police forces in many ways. But what I would say is that, um, you know, you have an army of armed citizenry that far outweighs any. You mean a militia. Yes. You you have the ability to field far more people with guns uh, in the U.S. than our entire military and law enforcement combined. So what I would say is I, I think that the odds of a breakup in the U.S. and you know people saying this far, no farther, I think that that could get there. But I don't think it'll be the military or the police to join with the rebel cause to do it. I think it will be citizens that, and maybe their former military and former police that say no we're not we're not going to play that game anymore.
0: well and the uh, here's where I see the problem with that is the the reason that the these revolutions become successful when the military joins has less to do with the weapons of the military which the people have in this country, and more to do with a formal structure that's already in place, a hierarchy that exists in the military that allows relatively few people to make decisions that have consequences and control uh, a very large number of people. The problem with a whole bunch of us running that own weapons and are, you know, trained to use them and everything else is that any attempt made by people to form a more organized militia is very quickly thwarted by the government because they see that as a very dangerous thing to allow to continue because that is exactly what can challenge their power,
1: yeah, but uh, what I would say there is you're I think what you would see is why would you try and organize a formal resistance there instead of just breaking up into smaller groups and states
0: because from a practical aspect while you're breaking into smaller groups, the government is putting everybody into gulags I mean this happened in Russia, and it wasn't and look it. People had weapons in Russia. Uh, people had plenty of guns. Uh, the the communist government, in fact, that was one of the sort of the, the communist freedoms is that uh, the serfs who were not allowed to have weapons were now no longer serfs. They were free citizens uh, under the communist rule. And so they all of a sudden could buy guns and guns were available uh, in Russia. Now that didn't last more than about 20 years because then the government started realizing that, well, hold on, if we right. did a revolution, these guys could do a revolution and we don't want that. We want to be in power forever. Uh, so that they, they changed that rhetoric. But I think that, like I said, the big factor here is organization and what, what the opposition, let's just say to the globalist government of the United States The opposition lacks that type of organization. Well, like like I know a lot of people that are, uh, sorry uh, to interrupt you there, but like, I know a lot of people that have guns that go hunting that are very proficient with the weapons. And even a lot of us like talk on telegram and have little Uh groups and, and no agenda meetups and all these things where you start to meet other people. Shit hits the fan. Who's in charge? Who's going to look at the the maps and figure out where to go and what to do?
1: Well, and there are a lot of people who will have lost their guns in voting yes. accidents or just give up. And yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, there's such a numbers disparity there between governmental forces. And you have to you have to think in the U.S. that there are some good cops. There are some good soldiers that are going to say, yeah, I'm not enforcing that order. And I'm going to go join with this other group. Mm-hmm. Hypothetically, so. You know, when you have those numbers, even if you say, okay, two-thirds of gun owners in the U.S. are just going to capitulate and go along, you still have a two-to-one advantage.
0: Yeah, I think you're looking at the number of guns, and I'm looking at the, the structure, the organizational structure. And the guns in individual hands help, but they don't win. What wins is an organized militia not a bunch of individuals with guns.
1: Yeah, but the problem with the organized militia, and I've seen this personally in my life, um, you know, the, the, the everybody likes to play the game Spot the Spook. Mm-hmm. Well, agent provocateurs are a real thing, right? And what I would remind everyone of is, like, what happened to Ruby Ridge, right? Yeah. So, and...
0: Well, I would you know, say what, Waco... What happened, like, to, what, what happened in Waco really made me realize, or it, it was the first time where, I mean, to some extent at Ruby Rich too, but certainly in Waco to realize just how apathetic the American public was, that they were willing to put up with this absolute abuse of power by the government on people that absolutely did not deserve it. I mean, whatever you can say about the, the laws that were broken by the Branch Davidians uh the response was absolutely non-proportional
1: yeah absolutely well the response and no
0: uh, one gave a shit
1: well i mean it started with ruby ridge and the reason yeah. why i say that is because you know there there was a embedded atf agent that got randy weaver to Mm -hmm. screw up and make a sawed-off shotgun and then tried to use him to as a mole to spy on Mm -hmm. certain movements in north central idaho which
0: which he wasn't even a member of
1: no and didn't like they yeah i I, I mean that's the other
0: part nobody really kind of knows is that he wasn't part of these groups he was just a dude trying to live his life away from people that fucked him over
1: yeah, and and you know the the weavers decided to not comply with what was entrapment and crap, and he ended up losing his wife, his son, and friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, Waco, the Branch Davidians, what happened there? The you know they were David Koresh could have been picked up in town at any point in time. Mm-hmm. There, there was not a need for that. And when you look at the snipers that were involved in both incidents you're starting to see a pattern there mm-hmm. um the abuses of the government in the 90s is definitely not lost on me it's interesting that we haven't really seen that sort of abuse since um you know it, it's it's an interesting well, we've dichotomy managed to
0: keep more clintons out of office Think so far yeah so There's far she might still run exactly yeah. yeah but that's the thing it's like to me watching that my blood was boiling seeing that stuff happening on tv i was like i can't believe we're letting this happen and i would happily join anybody that opposes yeah and it was crickets chirping well same
1: thing when snowden revelations happened right yeah, I yeah. Thought, like I how thought did that surely. not start a revolution well, I, I was surprised because, you know, in, in IT and in cybersecurity, the joke was always, I heard the government can, and, you know, they, surely they are. Mm-hmm. And then here we have evidence of them spying on us in such a grotesque way, um, how that, you know, and I, there are several people I know and somewhat respect who thought of Snowden as a traitor for saying those things. There are people and that dare I know that still
0: think that he's a traitor after everything that's happened i'm like a traitor to whom a traitor to his employee maybe or employer maybe but a traitor to the american people to the constitution absolutely not
1: to the principles of liberty and you know everything else well it's the same thing with uh you know how julian assange is being treated and everything
0: else. oh yeah it's- they basically have killed assange without uh killing how is what's been done to assange Different from what Russia is constantly blamed for doing uh, to opposition uh, people, you know, oh, oh, such and such was poisoned. Hey, guess what? None of the people that were allegedly poisoned by Russia have died. Well,
1: regardless, uh, you know, having a a political prisoner Mm. in that way because, oh, oh my God, embarrassed the U.S. military because the U.S. military was doing some things. Literally
0: a publisher of news. Yes.
1: <laughs> leaking well and the whole you know Bradley Manning thing uh mm-hmm. you know a, a leaking of gun camera footage and you know if people need to remind themselves of where that actually started yeah. and what happened there
0: Yeah and and Manning I think just didn't belong in the military although that was pretty obvious that that he should have been back when he was still a he Right uh, now it's Chelsea Yeah not not Chelsea should have been uh, removed from active service. But still, it's like, does the act of uh, taking classified information and spreading it, is that always a bad thing if the information is actually that the government is breaking laws?
1: I, no, what? I would say that it's the moral duty of any uh anyone who is in con- in possession of information where a government's uh deeds are that abhorrent
0: mm-hmm. uh
1: you know that that definitely should be published <laughs> and and allow the people to respond yeah. right
0: so it's like we keep secrets for a reason and we certainly don't want our spy agencies to be full of people that are publishing details about what what's going on but only to the degree that it doesn't break laws.
1: I, I question if we want to have spy agencies at all. Yeah. And you're you're the a little concentration more. <laughs> of that power is not, uh, yeah. too problematic in, in and of itself. Right. I, I'm more we, willing we to, the,
0: uh, see the benefits thereof. So you're definitely a little more extreme on that side of it, but
1: yeah, Jagger Hoover, man, Jagger Hoover.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, and it, it's, uh, I, I, I really like the, the story that Adam told of going to the family. This is years ago, going mm-hmm. to the family home in New York and, uh, you know, talking to his relatives and nieces and cousins and everybody else and, and having a conversation with a, a teenage, uh, niece of his who at one point said, Oh, yeah, no, I, I can't, I can't really tell you what I did in the summer because you don't have the clearance for it. And you know clearly traveling with her parents somewhere, but it, it, the idea—the idea that Adam's like the one guy in their whole family that managed to not have clearance—I think is freaking hilarious.
1: Well, it, it's definitely something that I, I just think a secretive organization uh, begets abuse of power, and that's where I am hesitant to say yes that the CIA, the CIA, and the NSA and you know uh, arguably the dia is probably the one i would say has is the most legitimate but definitely mm-hmm. the cia and nsa you know they were never meant to spy on us citizens yet we go through five eyes and everything else mm-hmm. and you know immediately circumvent those laws um and this goes back to whether or not you have something to hide um, well, if you ever want a revolution to take place, you know communications and being secure in your property and your effects is a key. Yeah, but thing. they
0: don't want the revolution to take place. You see,
1: I understand, but th- this is this was one of the driving forces in 1776. You know, was you know uh, warrantless entry, right? Uh, well,
0: warrantless entry, and one can argue that surveillance is akin to quartering troops as well.
1: Well no, I mean you you go back to the word gossip right do you know do you know the origins of the word gossip nope. so the anecdote is that King George ordered his spies to go sit in the taverns and go sip on uh beer and listen to what was being said mm. to spy and um you know that 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 definitely the colonists did not react well to that, and i I just I guess I'm, I'm in awe and shocked that the American people just willingly accept spying. And we go back to the last time we talked, you know, um, my, my stepkids sharing their location information with each other. Mm -hmm. That that's anathema to me as well, because I can't imagine sharing with my sister, my location constantly.
0: Mm. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, um, I think that there, there is definitely a trend towards less privacy that's been instilled through educational institutions. Um, certainly it makes things easier when no one really cares about privacy. But I also think that there is a, uh, there is a fine line between legitimate paranoia and illegitimate paranoia. Because there's also a lot of products that would be, uh, manufacturers that would be very happy to sell you all kinds of shit driven by that paranoia of wanting more privacy that ultimately just makes money for them and doesn't necessarily provide you with a whole lot of privacy. Yeah. I, I, I understand both sides of that argument and I know Adam's made fun of me, uh, quite a few times for things like having security cameras in the house, recording everything that goes on. So I'm spying on myself. um, For uh, like, you know, you can log in and check what the level of carbon dioxide is inside of my house. Well, I mean, if I give you the logins, obviously. But at one point, Adam was doing that on a a somewhat regular basis in the early days of No Agenda where... um, I, I gave him that access He was like oh let's see so it looks like the noise level inside of Jean's house is uh 64 decibels and the carbon dioxide is at 480 parts per million and you know just kind of little little fun details like that that uh i'm curious about but i really also don't give a shit if other people at least other people of my choosing uh know that stuff and well, same thing with the camera it's not like i have a publicly accessible camera broadcasting live feed from the house. It's all going to the NAS, but I also know enough about capabilities to say that if I'm recording video on, on on my NAS, there is certainly a potential that somebody else can get to it as well.
1: Yeah. And I I would say that I had a camera system at a house this was outdoor, not inside, Mm -hmm. but um, that was definitely sitting on its own network. And, uh, I had to reach in to connect to it, mm-hmm. not uh it broadcasting out, but you know I mean I recognize that people put you know siri uh or Alexa or google you know the assistant uh, yeah. in, as part of their life and Yeah, it's
0: uh, like if you have a phone, your phone is always listening
1: oh absolutely we you know we we one hundred percent paid for our own telescreens, and um i there's a benefit in that as well because. Because the majority of people are so noisy with what is collected exactly. and yep. used against it, it generates enough obscurity noise that,
0: through obscurity.
1: Yes, to an extent, but we all know what that's yeah, worth, right? It, ju-
0: it just means NSA asks for a bigger budget.
1: Well, and you know, sifting through that amount of data is difficult, right? That's
0: why we have AI systems,
1: dude. Hey, don't get me started on AI and machine learning. <laughs> We we've already gone two hours yeah, and I don't we, want we to can, get into we the it. We can save that for
0: the next uh next episode. We'll talk about AI next time. All uh right. well yeah, you're right. So this has been a little longer an episode that we typically are shooting for 90 minutes or so uh for these. But yeah, the topics just were interesting enough to keep talking.
1: Well, Gene, it's good to talk to you. We'll talk to you next weekend.
0: Yeah, that sounds good. Uh we'll see you a week from now. And hopefully everybody's enjoying listening to this new version of Sir Gene Speaks um, with a uh, dude named Ben named Ben. And uh, if you are enjoying it, uh, let us know. One or another, uh, the contact info is in the description of the uh, podcast episodes. If you want to make a donation, go for it. But honestly, I'm not even going to take the time to talk about donations on this one.
1: Well, we'll, we'll work it out if we get there
0: yeah yeah it's gonna take more energy and effort to figure out what the donations are coming in than the actual amounts that they're doing professional podcasters like uh, adam curry or or even uh uh darren o'neill that do like five six shows a week that's a whole different thing like they're actually doing it as a job i'm i'm just talking to you as though this is a phone call and the record button just happened to be pressed
1: Yeah, and you and I both have day jobs, so. Exactly. The idea of this becoming anything more than a lark and us talking is probably low. on. Yeah, uh, we're just generating
0: content for the NSA. That's all we're doing. Indeed. Indeed. Probably the
1: only ones listening.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. God damn it. I wish the NSA would send some money. (laughs) Pay me for my content, bitches. Yeah. All right. And with that, uh, we'll sign off until next week. Talk to you later, Gene. And as always, thanks for joining me. Please do keep in mind that nothing in this podcast represents financial, legal, or medical advice.